Well, we come to Second uh, Corinthians three eighteen, the last verse in Second Corinthians three this morning, and we'll be heading into chapter four next week. This section of the Second Corinthians is is a rather strange one in the way that Paul uh, communicates. He's first of all he's making a lot of points all at the same time. And second of all, he's using a lot of different images all at the same time to make these various points. So it's almost like a big bundle of strings and trying to grapple with it is difficult. So what I've been trying to do is really pull one thread out at a time and examine it together. That's why this is the fifth sermon on these seven verses. It's tempting at times to ignore certain things that are there and move on just for the sake of keeping some momentum going. But another part of me feels like I'm impoverishing you if I skip by some of these wonderful and beautiful images and things that he's, points that he's making. And so this morning we have our final one. Verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, in order to get some background for this passage, let's climb back again for a minute into Paul's shoes. This verse, you see, is not just about Christians in general. This is autobiographical. This verse is what happened to Paul. Remember, Paul had been a zealous man, taken up with the things of God as he understood them. He was fascinated with and devoted to the way of Moses, the man who saw God face to face and glowed with the glory of it. But then Paul saw the face. The scales fell off his eyes and he beheld the face of Jesus. And the face of Jesus had such surpassing glory that no longer did the face of Moses glow for Paul. The face of Jesus made the old covenant, which had so gripped Paul, lose its charm. Once he turned his eyes upon Jesus and looked full into his wonderful face, The things of the Old Covenant and all the other elementary things of the world grew strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You see, sometimes we see something that changes us forever. Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. Many of us have known people who went off to war as soldiers and saw things that changed them permanently. 
Moses was transformed by God by seeing him in the burning bush. And Paul was transformed by seeing Jesus, the face of Jesus. In fact, it took him three days to process it all. So this verse is talking about this transformation that occurs from seeing Jesus. The glory of Jesus. And it tells us that this vision of God's glory, this looking at his glory, makes us increasingly like him. Because believers in Christ have unveiled faces. We've been enabled to see the glory of Jesus. And therefore, by that vision, we can be transformed into his image. And this, of course, isn't a one-time event. It's a process. That's why it says we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's a gradual process that happens lifelong. And there's something, a couple of things I want to point out in this passage. The first is something that would be very subtle. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God are being transformed. We all, and we all with unveiled faces are being transformed. It's no longer just Moses and the great prophets. It's all of us. And this is one of the big changes that occurred from Old Testament from Old Covenant to New. The New Covenant is not elitist. It's not aristocratic. As Peter said at Pentecost, in these last days it shall be, declares the Lord, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, sons and daughters, young and old, male and female. None of us is so weak, so low, so ignorant, so sinful that the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ can't shine on us. There is no caste system in the Christian faith. There's no upper class and lower class. There is no in-group and out-group. In the Old Covenant... It was like the early morning sunrise. Now, I suppose if you live in Kansas, you miss this. But around here in the early morning, you know, you can see high places that get the sun first. When the sun begins to rise, you know, it's still rather darkish where we are. But we can look across the valley and see the tops of the next ridge and it's shining brightly with the morning sun already. And that's the way it was in the Old Covenant. There was Moses and David and Elijah and a few others. And they were shining brightly in the Son of God while the rest lie in darkness. Lightened slightly by the brightness of the peaks. But in the noon, I'm sorry, in the new covenant, the noon has come. And the sun shines brightly on every 
little ridge and crevasse that so that every little wildflower gets its share of sun unless it's shielded somehow from the sun by some kind of barrier. Now Christ reveals himself to all of his servants. In fact, the New Testament tells us that Christ reveals himself to more who are lowly and foolish in the eyes of the world and those who appear weak and those who the world despises than those who are noble and and wise and mighty. Redeemed by him, we can all behold his face and be transformed by his and be transformed into his image. Now we hear the language from glory to glory, which is more close to what it actually says literally in the Greek. And the translation from one degree of glory to, to another is trying to tell us what that is getting at, what that means. But we hear that, it's like, wow, I don't feel very, like I'm moving from glory to glory. Sometimes for me, it seems more like I'm moving from sorry to sorry rather than glory to glory. But, you know, in the wisdom and work of God, he's, He is building us, He is growing us, even though sometimes it seems we're going backwards. You know, in order to build, have you ever seen them start to build a skyscraper? They don't start by going up, do they? They start by going down. And they have to go a long way down to build the foundation that's needed to go way up. And when you shoot an arrow, before you can shoot it that way, you have to pull it this way. And the farther you pull it this way, the farther it will go that way. Do we know as Christians, do we know who we are? We are the masterpieces of God that he is fashioning. If you, if you are in Christ, then God's work in you has already begun. Though there's still lot much to be done in the future, the glory of Christ has already begun to shine through your life. You won't always see it. And that's not necessarily bad. It's not important so much to see it as to believe it. It's good to see changes that God is working in your life. However, we're not supposed to be impressed by our progress, but by our need and by His glory and grace. But the, but the way that we're, this verse is presented to us is that that transformation takes place through the beholding of his glory. In the Christian faith, we talk about sanctification, the process of growing in our faith, becoming more like Jesus. But this verse tells us how this happens. It tells us who does it. It tells us it's the Spirit. But it also tells us how the Spirit does it. How do we grow in godliness? How do we fight against sin 
It is the beholding of the glory of God. That means that sanctification isn't by effort. It's not by the exercise of willpower. It's a matter of drawing near to Jesus, looking to him, opening our eyes to him. Instead of trying to crawl up the mountain on our hands and knees, therefore, we need to be lifted up by, the, by fellowshipping with the Lord Jesus, by coming to him. Part of us would prefer self-improvement. That way we can feel good about ourselves. We can feel like we've accomplished something. But God doesn't want us to feel like we've accomplished something. That's self-focused. God wants us to feel like he's done it all. By his grace. And efforts of self-improvement never go deep enough. Because they just bring outward change and not the kind of change we need, which is change within. Looking upon Jesus unleashes a power that will help us run the race with joy and perseverance. So we need to give up on self-effort and fix our eyes upon Jesus so he can remake us into his image. So how do we go about doing this? Well, I would say there's a number of things. The first one is knowing that you need it. The second one is knowing and believing that his face is there for you to see and to gaze upon and to behold and to seek. The third part is knowing that only he opens your eyes to that glorious face. The fourth thing is to humble yourselves, therefore, and desperately seek and beg the Lord to do his work, to open your eyes, to show you his glory. And then we seek him. We seek his face. We seek him in his word. We seek him in his precious promises. We seek him in his people. We seek him in prayer. <clears throat> we seek him in the means of grace that he's given us. In public worship. In the Lord's Supper. And other things. We seek him by considering his great love. And his gracious treatment of us. But don't take this as a formula. You know, you just need to pray and read the Bible. And go to church and have fellowship with God's people. God hasn't given us a formula. He's given us a redeemer to seek. And these are activities in which Christ can be sought and often found. But the activity itself doesn't do it. You can easily be praying and not looking to Jesus. And you can be singing and worship and holding your hands up and not looking to Jesus. And you can be reading your Bible and not looking to Jesus. It's not easy. Just because it's not self-improvement doesn't mean it's easy. Our hearts are resistant and we need to be ruthless in dealing with our resistance. The most important activity of our lives is to look Upon Jesus. 
the most important activity in your life to look upon Jesus. There's so many obstacles and so many things in us that hold us back. We need to really believe that we need it. We need to be urgent about it. We need to be discontent without it. If we don't frequently cry out to God to open our eyes and show us His glory, then it shows that we are unaware of how much we need Him and how poor our spiritual vision is. A great example for us is the bleeding woman who pressed through the crowd and touched the garment of Jesus. Remember that story in Luke chapter 8? After years of languishing, she knew she needed the touch of Jesus. She wasn't going to let Jesus get away without getting to him, without getting what she needed from him. And we need to be like that. We need to press through the crowd of our worries, of our cares, of our insecurities, of our burdens, of our temptations, in order to touch the robe of the Master and behold His glorious face. That's what we need. And there's a lot more going on here than just our sense of, our lack of sense of need or our smallness of faith, or our earthly mindedness. Those things are big obstacles for us, but there's more than that. There is nothing that Satan is more afraid of than people looking to Jesus. There's nothing he wants to disrupt on earth more than that process. People looking to Jesus. So he is ready to conduct an all-out assault on our connection with Jesus. So we can't take it lightly. We've got to fight for this. Part of the reason we are reluctant is because of pride. When the light shines on us, it exposes us, exposes our uncleanness, our unworthiness, our weakness. We see our corruption, and we don't like that. But it also enables us to see the Savior's love for us in spite of all that. And to see our lives in the perspective of our heavenly hope that's what we need that's why we should be running to God instead of running away from God that's why we should be looking for him instead of looking to avoid him and yes it's very possible for Christians to be looking to avoid Jesus I mean, if you asked, you know, someone, some non-Christian, and you said, well, there, you know, there are Christians that are trying to avoid Jesus, they'd go, what? I thought that's what a Christian was. They're, no, it doesn't make sense. Oh, it really doesn't make sense, but it's true. And I've been there. 
Sometimes we're trying to avoid Jesus, not seek him. But when we avoid him, we miss out on all that is best in life. And it is so very foolish. The Christian life is a life of beholding Christ. And as a result, reflecting Christ. We become like who we look at. We become like who we pay attention to. We become like who we focus on. We become like who we admire and esteem, who we are impressed by. And when we look at him, the beauty of his face begins to be reflected in our face. And I know, for me, one of the greatest joys of my life has been seeing the Lord's face reflected in the faces of my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think many of us have experienced that. It's such a blessing. And that's what the world needs. They need, they need to hear his word and understand the truth and they need to see his face in the face of God's people pray that that would flourish in us and now let us come to the table of our Lord where he mysteriously reveals himself to us in the form of bread and why? For here, if we seek it, we can behold his face even in these symbols of who he is. As we remember who he what he did for us as we remember the love that he poured out upon us as he suffered on the cross let us humble ourselves before him heavenly father we thank you so much that you have given us now the privilege of coming to Jesus and partaking of Jesus Oh Lord, we want very much to know him and see him, to draw near to him, to have his touch. We thank you for the opportunity to do so this morning through the Lord's Supper. Give us grace, O oh Lord. Give us eyes to see, hearts to seek, and to celebrate. We pray in his dear name. Amen.